Okay, so we've been looking at being filled with the Holy Spirit and what we can expect. And I don't know when it was, three or four weeks ago, we looked at uh, three particular aspects that we could uh, expect. Uh, then we followed on a couple of weeks ago, looking, picking up one of those in more detail, the whole issue of fruitfulness. Uh, today I want to pick up the area of um, battle or fighting or, or forcefulness uh, as part of the outcome uh, that we could reasonably expect as a result of being filled with the Spirit. You see, <clears throat> we don't live in a world where um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit is, is kind of, well, it's a nice feeling. Um, I'm glad it's nice rather than nasty. I'm glad it's it's thoroughly enjoyable experience to be reveling in the presence of God. Uh, but it's important that we understand that we gain uh, far more than just it's, a, it's an experience. And uh, so we want to look at that because sometimes when you know what God has provided, it helps us to say, wait, 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 wait a minute. Uh, if this is what God has provided... Uh, then there's something further, there's something more that I could be accessing and, and enjoying and living in. And we want to live in the fullness of what he has provided for us. Sometimes, you know, uh, we can get deflected so that we don't really understand the, um, the full extent of what he's provided for us. I think part of understanding... Uh, according to what I also understand from the word, part of understanding is that it then opens up the way or creates in us something of a desire or a hunger for something more than what we would otherwise um, live in. I want to uh, just base what I'm going to bring to you in familiar story in Judges, the story of, of Gideon. Uh, just before we turn to that, can I just remind us that in Matthew 11, um, there is a clear indication of, of how the kingdom is to advance. Uh, and it is not a description of passivity. It's not a description of, of casualness. It's actually not a description of comfort. Uh, it's a, a clear indication that the kingdom is advanced by force. There's a, a sense of, there's an aggressiveness, there's a, uh, a, a taking on, there's a battling, there's a, a, a recognition that beyond this point, uh, we will not go. Beyond this point, there is no push that is going to take us. So there's, a, there's that sense there of constant battle. And it is that strategy for battle that I want us to look at uh, for a short time this morning. Just for those of you that maybe don't, are not so familiar with the story, the Israelites had been yet again um, misbehaving. God had punished them. We're talking exactly what happened in the Old Testament. God chose them. God promised them. Uh, he made a condition on it. They failed to meet the condition. Uh, then he had to beat them up a bit. And then they come back again. I mean, it's just a recurring thing, which uh, apart from anything else, must get 
boring, really. You know what I mean? Just the same thing over and over again. In the end, God said, well, this is, this is, uh, this is not much fun. Uh, let's, let's really change this whole thing around. And praise God, that's when we come into the new covenant through Jesus. So, <clears throat> he comes, uh, they're all hiding in caves and the, um, the enemy's coming and nicking all their crops. And I mean, it's a, just a miserable lifestyle. Kind of lifestyle, of course, that you see people um, living under. You know, people that are displaced. Countries that are overrun. And when, we, when you watch the news and you see uh, some of the awful things that go on in our world, this, that's the kind of thing that was, that was happening there. And he comes to somebody who doesn't appear to be the most likely lad. Um, This guy, Gideon, who's um, trying to thresh wheat in a wine press, uh, which is a pretty nigh on impossible task. He's basically in 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 a pit trying to do something that should be done in a barn with open ends. I mean, it's, you know, that shows the measure of, of where he was coming from. And uh, he says, uh, uh, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. At which, which point, you know, you can either consider the, the evidence of your eyes or wonder if God's lost it and he's kind of got confused or something like that, which doesn't tend to happen. So then you have to begin to say, well, wait a minute. Uh, he sees something that is completely contrary to what we are looking at and to what this guy was experiencing. And so there's this debate. I won't go all through the story, but it's a kind of debate uh, that goes on between Gideon and, uh, and the Lord uh, in terms of, you know, well, look, it's, it's, all, it's all hopeless, it's all gone wrong, and I'm very weak, and so on and so forth. And then, uh, very interestingly, if you want to know where this is, Judges 6, in verse 14, the Lord turned to him, and it's kind of, it's like this debate went on, and then God said, all right, let, can we cut this short? Uh, and uh, he, he basically says this. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have. Hmm. And save Israel out of Midian's hand. Here comes the key. Am I not sending you? See, it transformed the whole situation. There was a, a sending of God that lifted him out of his natural limitation and natural current position into um, a mighty warrior. Externally, it didn't look any different. But internally, something happened because God spoke. Can you understand why we're so keen to hear what God's got to say. Can you understand why it's so important that, that we tune in and pick up? Because whilst God may speak corporately, he also can speak individually. Time and again, there are specific things. God drops in a particular thing that changes the whole situation. The externals work through later, but the internal is changed at that point. Because you hear God, and what happens when you hear God? What happens when you catch the word of God? Well, we were hearing about it last week. Faith, yes. You can't separate the two things. 
the situation is completely transformed. And so, go in the strength, am I not sending you? And so he goes through and has various signs to encourage him and God is very patient with him and and uh, eventually he goes and uh, he, he finds, yes, that uh, of course the first thing he had to do was clear up the, the, the sin in his father's house. You know, he started on the home territory, a little bit more awkward, a little bit more embarrassing, had, you know, been used to that, had been like that, you know, grown up with it, and he had to deal with that, and then he gets into big trouble, and, and his dad has to come along and, and uh, rescue him from being sacrificed. So he has a few interesting experiences on the way. And I don't really want to go too much into that story other than to, to mention that that's, that's kind of what's happening. <clears throat> I want to jump through into chapter 7. Oh, by the way, uh, I got some questions. I got four questions. And I thought just for fun, I would tell you this now, but we'd come upon them rather suddenly. And so... You know, if you're not listening, you might be left high and dry. He, he, he. Ha, ha, ha. <coughs> All right. So I'm in, I'm in chapter 7, and uh, he's, he's carried out, or he's carrying out this, this um, plan. Uh, he's passed the various tests. He's tested God. He's done all this sort of stuff. And now the time is coming to actually... Uh, engage in battle. And God gives him a strategy. And I think that in any battle, remember, God does nothing in that he first reveals it to his servants, the prophets. So even in battle, we need to have God's strategy. Sometimes he says, go on up and fight, and sometimes he says, don't do it. You know, you, you can't work on the basis of we know how to do it. So Having the word of the Lord is very important. <clears throat> and so he begins to give some instructions. It's from those instructions that I can see uh, an interesting uh, strategy. Uh, <clears throat> so he's got the instruction to go. And I'm going to jump down to verse 17 of that chapter 7. He says, watch me. He told them, follow my lead. He is leading by example. He's actually, you know, my, my father used to tell me um, in the war that there were two types of leaders. There were those who would say, okay, chaps, over you go, you know, attack the enemy. And there was the other type that said, okay, chaps, follow me into the fight. Uh, and two distinctive ways. Well, the follow me is the way which uh, is very much commended as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. So an example, following the leader into that situation. It's a little bit strange. Um, he divides, by the way, he, he had started off with 32,000 men on his side and, and God kind of did some filtering. If God says to you at any time, I'm going to filter put your crash helmet on. You know, it, it normally means something interesting is going to happen there. So he says, uh, okay, 
Uh, he filters it down. Anyway, long and short of it, he's gone from 32,000 to 300. Uh, and now he's going to take on the whole of the uh, Midianites with the 300. Um, and he divides this 300 into three companies and he gives them trumpets and empty jars and torches. All right. Here then is an important point. Uh, this is really not a lot about understanding. I mean, come on guys, if, if you're kind of understanding, there you are facing the whole company of the Midianites, reduced from 32,000 to 300, and you've got a torch, an empty jar, and a trumpet. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't feel comfortable in that situation. I mean, an AK-47 would feel a lot better in my hands at that point in time. But we understand that in the kingdom of God, obedience is better than reason. Because he knows, and because he calls us to be obedient, and equips us to be obedient, and actually tells us, don't kind of lean on your own understanding. You try and work it out, you come seriously unstuck. So not about understanding, but about a readiness to receive instruction. Uh, here's a unique strategy. You can go through the Bible. It wasn't done before and it wasn't done after. I mean, it was a one-off. It was something that God was doing and saying at that time. And there are different ways of winning. And then he said, I'm just moving on, when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, remember they're in three different companies, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. They all needed to function together. I mean, this is strange and weird strategy, but there were key points in it that was necessary. They had to function together. They had to function together at the precise instructed time. What would be an example of that in our situation? Groups talk together. I told you, I'd suddenly drop it on you. Examples. Functioning together. What would it look like? Maybe three or four people getting together might work better. You know, if you're completely blank, quickly go to somebody who looks as though they've got an answer. Okay? Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's get some answers. What would it look like? All functioning together. Moving at the right moment. I will start off with this side. Paul. Excellent. <laughs> Could you hear that okay? Oh. Oh. Andrew? Come on. Right. Go to Paul. It would look like a big... Olympic-themed community fun day, for which there's a training event on the 21st of April. <laughs> right. 
While Andrew's over that side, somebody else over that side, what would it look like all functioning together? Uh, good communication, everybody knowing what their part to play is in, in what you're doing. Excellent, good. Andrew, good. Julia here. The power of agreement in prayer. I mean, I'm thinking recently of Peru, but I know in the past yeah. we prayed for Sierra Leone and really saw God yeah. do stuff. Power of agreement, so very, very powerful. All right, Andrew. Over to that side. And to Carol. Caroline. Um, when we have like a covenant meal and we all kind of stand together and say, yes, we're behind John and the leadership in this church at this point before we move forward into something else. Yeah, good. Again, agreement in the covenant meal together. Sue? Uh, having a barbecue on a church holiday. Yeah. Getting together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Somebody else over that side? Could I have one, somebody that is good-looking and intelligent and wealthy? Ah, oh, right, Lorraine. <laughs> Lorraine? I'm <laughs> um, just thinking about visiting people in hospital. I think thing with Patrick now, for example, yeah. or yeah. providing meals for people when they're unwell or yeah. just had a baby or something. See, a, a ready response. Can I be part of this? Can I be part of this? Uh, functioning together? It's a good question to ask. Somebody else over there? Sort of? No? Diani. Catching the vision that John may have and running with it so that actually it has a much bigger effect than if it was just one or two people so that when the whole church catches it, it goes out to places it wouldn't any other way. Mm. Very good. Uh, to Richard, nobody wants to be a lone voice crying in the wilderness. You know, we're, we're people functioning together. Rich? Yeah, I think it's about response. So, um, for example, if Sally was to get up and talk about open doors and then there's a, there's a rise of faith within a group of people who think, yeah, I want to get behind that and, yeah. and uh, I'm going to go and talk to Sally and say, I'm ready, I'm available uh, yeah, to that, help. That, and that so. kind of responsive thing. Yeah, very good. Somebody else? Dave, run, Andrew, because you've got Dave Garland's job there and he's looking jealous. 10 out of 10 for that effort, that's brilliant. Um, a willingness to not do everything yourself and risk somebody else doing it, even though you're not sure they might do it as well as you. Yeah. Good, good, yeah. Okay, all right, Andrew, you get a rest for a minute. Put it back on there for me, will you? Only for a minute you get a rest. All right, so then it goes on to say this. Um, and Gideon, uh, basically, they got to the point, blew their trumpets, broke their jars that were in their hands, and uh, grasping their torches in their left hands and holding the right hands of trump, trumpets they were to blow, they shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. All right, that's kind of how they happened. Look at this next bit. While each man held his position... You know, holding that position, when I say position, I'm not talking in terms of a kind of um, a, a sort of um, class thing or, or a status thing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking here 
about strategic position. You know, when the Bible describes the functioning of the body and uses the human body as an example, it's talking not about status, but about the the strategic significance of each part. The same thing. I mean, if if I want to take a drink, my hand, my lips, lots of bits of me get involved in order to have that. Now, I don't know that I'm going to kind of rate one part more important than the other. What I'm going to say, they're all necessary. Every person to hold their position is very significant. If you like, another term, to be faithful in the allotted task, whatever the thing may be. Can you see, it's not what the thing is, it's how we are involved in doing it. If you take uh, Dawn and myself, um, my task over the years has been very much, you know who I am, you see me. Well, you best know who she is as well. But, uh, but you know what I mean? But Dawn's task is just as key behind the scenes, you know, um, telling me what to say. And, you know. <laughs> are, we, are you understanding that? It, the, the task is not important. It's how we pursue it. As we pursue it, faithful is unto the Lord. Holding the position, very, very key. Remember, we're looking at battle strategy, uh, making sure that uh, we are learning from this. And then, in the same little bit there, and there's a number of things together there, uh, another thing that strikes me important, you see it in verse uh, 20, is the uh, importance of maintaining lines of communication. Uh, very, very necessary. I think somebody already mentioned that, uh, that, that, that if we're going to function, uh, if we're going to be engaged in a battle strategy, then the communication is important. That's why we're seeking all the time to, in, to enhance that and to find ways in which that can be developed uh, and improved and followed through. So maintaining lines of communication, which of course means... The, the last possible thing you can really put up with is any broken communication. You know, anything that, that interferes with a flow of communication is going to be exceedingly um, damaging to a battle strategy. So we have to make sure that we allow nothing that can actually get in the way of communication. So we proceed through uh, together in this strategy to essentially proving the prophetic, so that out of that place of obscurity in the wine press, uh, there came through a person called by God to lead a people into battle and to victory. Then, um, kind of moving on quickly, so they have a great victory, and uh, there are some of the people that were called who kind of held back to see the outcome. They didn't want to kind of uh, make public their allegiance until they saw what the outcome was. So they didn't really, in, they didn't really get involved. You know, it's, it's kind of slightly political thing. You don't want to get involved with the, with the losing side. And then when, uh, when the battle had been won, they sort of came out of the woodwork a bit and... Uh, 
then there was a bit of an altercation. So jump on through uh, to uh, chapter 8. And in chapter 8, some of these people, in fact, uh, the the Ephraimites, uh, are saying to Gideon, um, why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call on us when you went to fight Midian? And they criticized him sharply. Now, he'd, he'd won the battle... Uh, they weren't too keen on being engaged previously. Now they're kind of having a bit of a go. Um, and right there, he could have entered into a diversionary argument. But his work was not yet finished. Um, and it would have been a, a serious mistake if he'd been uh, diverted at that point. What? could possibly be diversions for us? Question? Groups? Switching around if the last group you were in didn't produce much? Find a different one? Okay. I think we start on this side. What would be like a possible diversion that we'd need to be aware of in our situation? Remember, we look at the Word of God because it tells us that it instructs us, even from things thousands of years ago, it instructs us in the present. And we receive instruction. We receive battle strategy. So what would be possible diversions? Avril. Uh, would you like to expand? <laughs> Did you hear what she said? Shall I translate it anyway? <laughs> right. If you think there's a better way, we disagree. Right, that can be a diversion. Yes, thank you, Apple. Somebody else over that side? Vic? We talked about when you try and do things in your own power. And then it's only when it starts to get in a real mess that you remember that it's actually God you need to be asking to help you. Yeah. Yeah. You try to fix it yourself. You come unstuck. You've got to follow God's plan, God's word. All right. Somebody else over there? No? Too slow. Ah. Cadian? Is it Cadian? Right. Um, I was saying that... um, Usually, sometimes when God tells you that you need to go down a certain path and he has said, you know, this is what he expects of you and, you know, just as he did with Gideon, then sometimes there's that element of self-doubt where you think, oh, I can't do that. Mm. No, you know, you don't believe, well, in yourself and ultimately in what God can do through you Mm. as well as those around you when you have you know, told them what you believe, you know, God is telling you to do, they too can, you know, give you, you know, just not support you or think that you're not able or capable of doing it yourself, so. Yeah, good point, yeah, yeah. Uh, In fact, there's a a scripture that, that backs that up in Micah 7. It says a man's enemies can be those of his own household. You know, we can... We can undermine, and that can become a diversion from doing what we should be doing. 
in the center here where we have the concentration of intelligence, wealth, and good looks. Do I see it? Ah, yes, Lucy. Sometimes it just takes too long and you get frustrated or disappointed or even bored and then you just, you know, you, you can get distracted from pursuing the thing that God's given you. Yeah, yeah very true. That can be a, a real diversion. In fact, so much so, again, the Bible says, uh, don't grow weary in doing what is right. But in due season, you will reap if you, if you don't faint. I think God understood that as a, as a potential diversion. Anybody else in this section? They are bursting with ideas over here. So I don't want to fail to give you opportunity. Neil, then David. Um, we talked about following things that aren't asked to do because we've got drawn in emotionally, okay. situation, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, soulishness. But we see a, see a need. We've got drawn into it and it's very difficult to step back sometimes to hear what God's saying. Yep. And it's, that comes under the category of dead works. And again, God reinforces this with clear instruction. Repent from dead works. Turn away from dead works. And dead works can look very good. Oh, looking at wonderful what they're doing, but God didn't tell them. So it's a dead work. Yeah, very, very key point can be a diversion. Tim. Tim. Andrew, come straight to Tim, please. Maybe you can like, just go on to autopilot and kind of the weeks just pass by and you never... Yes, like a sleep in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well done, Tim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a kind of, it's a biblical, uh, uh, oh, I didn't know. Oh, oh. Prince, you've been inspired by Tim. Depending on the natural, um, can lead to diversion. Yeah. Um, because if people are working in group, they depend on um, the spiritual, they'll become posh people, meaning they will pray until something happens. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, David at the back there, please, Andrew. Um, Are you Neil, kind a of uh, domestic over the back. <laughs> just a slight um, alteration to what I was going to be saying. Um, <laughs> Neil kind of stole mine already. You need to learn to say what you're told to say. Yeah, and you won't have so many problems. <laughs> we were going to say um, getting so focused on on the on the task that you lose the heart of what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, very, very good point. Subtle diversionary tactics the task becomes more significant than the actual purpose. And then, last but by no means least, Daniel. Hmm. We were talking about kind of a comfort or a sense of accomplishment. I can imagine Gideon might have felt like he was a bit of a tough don 
after having taken that whole army out. But yeah, there was something more to come. And maybe you could kind of think, actually, I'm pretty good. Yeah. I've already achieved this. And kind of get comfortable and think, I don't need to push on to this next thing because where I am is pretty good. We'll come back on that one in a minute. Is anybody else in that section? Okay, we'll move on, but I'm looking to you for the next question, all right? I'm going to come to you first. All right, so, picking up what Daniel was just saying, uh, in fact, if you go through to verse 4 uh, of chapter 8, Gideon and his 300 men, exhausted, yet keeping up the pursuit came to the Jordan, crossed it, and then he went on to continue the dealing with uh, or seeking out the enemies and dealing with those that had failed to help. Uh, there is, as Daniel was saying, a great danger. He, he'd clearly seen a most remarkable victory. And there's a great danger at that point to go like this. Watch. Watch me. <sighs> And, and the, the huh means you just, whew, that was good. You've beat them. What have you done? You've just relaxed. And it becomes a most vulnerable time. We learned this over the years. And some of the things we prayed through in battle, because part of battle is what we do. In fact, the biggest part of battle is what we do in prayer. And, and the point in which there's a great danger, you feel you've got somewhere and then becomes a, a place of extreme vulnerability. And uh, we have to make sure that we don't do that. Um, we keep with it. Because, you see, he'd won a battle, but there was an objective that God had set before him which was not yet fulfilled. I mean, we go on, we don't really have the time to go into all the details, but there's some people to be to catch their comeuppance because they, they didn't really help and a few more to chase off. and you know, There was still stuff to be done. It, it, the, the job wasn't complete. And so they had a, an objective that was as yet unfulfilled. And there, there needed to be an example of sticking with that objective. All right, very quickly, what objectives are we still pressing towards? As yet, unfulfilled, uncompleted, that God has set before us. Now, this requires a little bit more, you know, a little bit more thinking. Objectives. I mean, by the way, I'm assuming that we're all agreed that this is not it. Okay? Are we agreed that we haven't yet arrived? Yeah? Are we happy to agree together we're on a journey and there's more to come? Yeah? Yeah? No, nobody checking out right now, right? You know? No. Don't check out. Mustn't check out until you're old and finished and past it and what have you. And since nobody here, other than those that have been specially promoted, are over 40, it's most unlikely. Right. Objectives. 
that's still before us. What do we want to see? Go. All right, because our, our time is going, we're going to just have quick, quick answers. And for Andrew, you can stay there. No, you can stay there. It's going to be just quick shout-out answers. Right, Sally. The youth. Youth meeting with God. Objective yet unfulfilled. Still pressing through. Somebody else. Breakthrough worship. Ascending. God's got more for us in that. Yes. Yes, Dave. Greater sense of community. We're always looking to go further. In the intelligence department. Do you... Yes. You tried, she tried to get into this group because I said it was intelligent. That's all right. That's okay. Prince. I'm talking National influence. Yeah, God set that before us. We're not finished till that's done. Zimbabwe. Yeah, the impact there. Yeah, yeah. We, we thank God for what's happening, but we're not finished. We're not done. Over here? Yeah. Developing in that whole manifestation of relationship. Why? Because it's a second commandment. A new commandment that you love one another. So I'd love you. Gary. Yeah, I'm not sure I can manage that this week. (laughs) Uh, But you know... Without getting stuck on the specific, that to see people in key places, you know, uh, that that could be a very significant thing, and we're moving steadily towards it. Vic. Yes. And developing a model of how that should be, because that's part of confronting the systems of this world. Yes. Absolutely. Something that we we all have the opportunity to engage in the investment. Uh, in young lives for the future. Not just parents, but children's workers. In fact, each one of us can have that opportunity, a very key and important opportunity. All right. So they stuck with it. And I'm jumping through now because of time, but um, there were various potential distractions and interactions. A great story to read. Most of you probably know it quite well. And then he reached a place where they were pretty pleased. And uh, they were, the Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson, because you saved us out, out the hand of Midian. And that could have been, again, a serious uh, diversion. Um, Gideon replied, I won't rule over you, nor will my son. The Lord will rule over you. In other words, he kept clear that because God was using him, 
was not something that he was going to be diverted into a wrong place or position. They needed to keep their focus on the fact that God was the one who was doing it. Uh, and he was the one who was their Lord, and that's where they should, that's where they departed from, and that's where they needed to come back to. So I will not be, uh, the Lord will rule over you. Um, and a taking of that uh, opportunity uh, to make clear that position was very significant and very necessary. So you've got um, an interesting thought there. If God's rule was stronger, if there was a greater individual and corporate submission to his rule, if we recognize that that's what he wants, uh, that's the gospel, that we come under his rule, what difference would that make personally? What difference would that make if, if something corporately? I'd like to leave you with that one because I want to, to move on. That's a, an important thing. When we get back to saying, wait a minute, not what I want, not what I feel, not what I think, but what does he think? What, does, what, what would God's rule look like? And Gideon did a great thing there, probably one of his most significant things, probably more significant than the battle. He steered them back to recognizing, wait a minute, this is about God's rule. Very important. All right, so in conclusion, you've got 300 uh, leaner, sharper, more determined people committed to hear God and do it. Really don't have time to be petty-minded. Um, they came and brought their, their, their offerings from the plunder. That actually became a snare to Gideon and his family because at that point um, he was detracted to look for something for himself and there's always a great danger the moment we start to look for something ourselves, whether it's to provide our own need or resolve our own situation, our own problem, we divert uh, from God's plan. And that became a snare for his family. Uh, and there was a lot of there. I mean, um, that weight of gold that was gathered at that time, 70 pounds, uh, in present value would, would be approaching 2 million pounds. So, I mean, there was plenty and there was a great temptation that, yeah, well, they could just have something out of that, but that is not what God wants and what God allows. So, we see the Holy Spirit um, manifest in various ways through this, through this book. Um, if you go back, you see the Spirit enabled Othniel uh, to deliver Israel earlier on from the hand of Cushion. We see that the Spirit equipped uh, Jephthah with leadership skills when he was dealing with the Amorites. We see the Spirit empowered Samson to perform those extraordinary feats of, of strength. But the interesting thing here that is relevant to us is that if we drop back to 6, verse 34, it basically says, uh, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon 
Gideon. If we look at the original on that, it, it speaks about the Spirit of the Lord clothed himself with Gideon. The personal presence of the Spirit of the Lord. He was a Spirit-empowered, divinely appointed leader and the Spirit was acting through him to accomplish the Lord's purpose. And what is that to do with us? The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in our mortal bodies. The same Spirit that empowered, that enabled, that equipped, enters into our, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why more of him and less of us, more of his fullness, more of his power, more of his purpose, takes us into this place of battle for the advance of the kingdom. That's what it's to do with us. God, by his spirit, clothes himself with Dave Ackerman and Simon Walker. With each one of us. On that basis, to actually be saying, Lord, I want more of you, and in exchange, I kind of can dispose. So it's, what do you want? Lord, release your power in me. Let's come through to a time of uh, just worshipping him in this period of time, opening our hearts to him, and choosing to respond to what we're hearing from the word. Because God promises to confirm his word with signs following. If we receive it, and we choose to say, Lord, I want this, we can expect that God will fulfill that for us.